What's up guys, it's Bayonetta and Erin, Uplifting and Empowering BIPOC. Um, welcome to our seventh episode of Empowering Our Mom, the podcast. Uh, we're so excited to have our special guest today, Kwaku, and we'll let him introduce himself. Well, firstly, I'd like to thank you guys for having me. Uh, for your listeners, my name is Kwaku. My pronouns are he, him, his, and I am doing this on behalf of Start Empowerment, which is a BIPOC-led social and environmental justice project working with New York City schools and organizations to implement justice-focused curriculum and programming. And I serve two roles in the organization. Number one, I'm a staff writer, and in that capacity, I write original articles on social and environmental justice topics and guides to action using a historical lens. And then I'm also the coordinator of our new book club called Expand Your Horizons, in which we read a book every month, and on the third Saturday of that month, discuss it amongst ourselves and with people outside of the org who are genuinely interested in learning. On the 24th of April, the book we will be discussing is Parable of the Sower by the famous Black science fiction writer Octavia Butler. And I would highly encourage you guys, as well as your listeners and followers, to join us for that. There will be an infographic on Start Empowerment's IG page at start.empowerment with more information later today. The last thing I'll say uh, concerning the book club is that whatever views you might have about the world will be challenged by the books we read. So if you are interested in joining, even if it is for just a meeting or two, be prepared for that. Yeah, so make sure to go check out Start Empowerment. Um, You guys will probably see more on our Instagram page Mm -hmm. um, about their account since this podcast is kind of the beginning of a collaboration with Start Empowerment. So you'll see more about them and definitely make sure to tune in to what they're working on right now. For sure. Um, So let's get into the topic. So today we're going to be talking about overall the topic is environmental justice, but we're going to really focus in on what's what's been happening in Jackson or what did happen. And Kwaku is kind of more of the expert on this. So (laughs) you're going to hear us (laughs) asking a lot of questions about what's been happening. And hopefully you guys can learn more about it also. Yeah, this topic hasn't exactly been covered on the news. Um, I mean, I haven't heard lots about it, but I definitely know a bit about environmental justice and racism um, just by like hearing insights and accounts. But without further ado, Quake, can you kind of tell us like what's happening in Jackson? Yes, but before I get to that, I think uh, we should define environmental racism mm-hmm. uh, because it's a very, I think, loose term. So yeah. environmental racism is defined as uh, the establishment of environmentally degraded or hazardous environments in close proximity with minority and or low-income communities. And as a result, these communities are made less powerful politically, economically, and socially. And the term was popularized by uh, Dr. Robert Bullard, who is uh, currently a, a professor at the Texas Southern University and who is known as the father of environmental justice. He uh, popularized the study of environmental racism, which is important to note. He did not invent it because you can never invent a social phenomenon. 
you can only observe it and then record it or talk about it. Hmm. And one of the things which manifested environmental racism just a month ago was Winter Storm Yuri, which, as you guys know, uh, ravaged much of America's South, uh, specifically Texas and Jackson, the capital of Mississippi. In Houston, where low-income minority communities uh, are situated near industrial sites and exposed to pollution, the power outages meant that air monitoring stations were likely to be down. And this was a huge concern because when these industrial sites are shut down, they tend to release large bursts of pollutants into the air. And they do this again when they restart. So they present a giant health risk to the people who live there. And then what has happened in Jackson, Mississippi is the most egregious example I can cite, uh, partly because it happened so recently. And yet, as you pointed out, the mainstream media from conservative Fox News to liberal MSNBC to American ABC uh, has said nothing about it. And if they have said anything about it, um, it was a message in passing. For a month, a quarter of Jackson citizens were without running water. And there was an uh, NBC news article I read, uh, which was titled, Jackson, Mississippi, Water Crisis Brings to Light Long-Standing Problems in the City. Uh, the writer cites the example of Katasha Johnson, a 38-year-old mother of three, who together with her fiance was boiling water uh, taken from a pre-filled bathtub for hand washing and for dishwashing. And to many, this evokes imagery of a third world country. But these people overlook the fact that since America's creation, it has been host to underserved and unsupported communities, as well as what essentially amount to internal colonies. And the word internal colony is not an understatement because the relationship between uh, black and brown residents of slums and ghettos and the white absentee landlords who own the properties of those communities, communities that they themselves don't live in, is a colonial relationship. It is not an accident that Jackson, a city that is 82% black, was the only city in the state having issues at that time. So can you tell us like a little bit about what help was given to the other cities in Mississippi, and I think you kind of talked about this um, the other day, but they haven't gotten help yet, and so their mayor is demanding help and trying to get help. Um, is there like some sort of disparity between the support both cities are getting, um, the majority white cities and the majority black, so Jackson, for example? Uh, certainly. So the mayor of Jackson, Mississippi is Shokwe uh, uh, Antar Lumumba. And uh, he has he himself has stated that he has not received adequate support from the state government. So most of the work that has been done in Jackson has been done by uh, mutual aid organizations. Yeah. And, uh, the problem is resolving itself now. Um, people are able to boil water, uh, fresh water for use uh, where, had, where they had not been able to before. But mm -hmm. the issue arises when you consider the fact that uh, the water was not usable for a month, and the the state government nor the federal government uh, was willing, was able, or willing to do anything about it. Yeah, and I'm reading 
I read that Jackson is also one of the most poorest, I think, in the country, the most poorest cities in the country. And yes. like you mentioned before, I think it's interesting how you see that it's 86% black and the majority is black. And so we kind of see the racism bleeding through with this. But also this has been happening. Um, you know, these the country has been dumping waste into the black neighborhoods and the POC neighborhoods over time. Um, and yeah, there's a lot of I think there's a lot of white water crises as well. Um, so. Yeah. Also, just to clarify, um, is so you said now that now they're able to boil water, which was not something that they were able to do before. Mm-hmm. Um, so does that mean they're still without running water? Like what's like, how are they getting the water? I'm not too familiar uh, with that. What I do know is that uh, allegedly the water is safe uh, for use now. Mm-hmm. Also, I think like you people need to realize it's not only in Jackson, Mississippi, but it's everywhere when, yeah. where you look. Like it's in where we live. It's in Washington State. Um, it's on the East Coast. You can observe the differences. Sorry, the differences between white neighborhoods and black neighborhoods. And I remember seeing this video where um, there's this thing called food deserts, and it, it's very common. And so there's going to be a lot of food, and it's either there's no grocery stores, um, only just fast food and you know food processed food for that's unhealthy for our bodies in majority uh, BIPOC neighborhoods. But when you get to white neighborhoods, there's more, there's more options, there's healthier food, you know, you have like vegan and whatever type of healthiness that you associate with um, your body or your mind, especially too. Um, And so people, I think, need to start looking around and seeing that it's where they are as well. Certainly. And what you're describing is a, a phenomenon called racial capitalism Mm -hmm. and we see its effects everywhere in black brown and uh person of color communities be it uh bad schools bad food uh environmental hazards i mean i could go on Mm -hmm. and with Uh, covid do you think that this has gotten worse in a way like in what ways too and like oh yes, because because if you notice the frontline workers, the essential workers, they're disproportionately mm-hmm. black and brown. Yeah. And what was like the previous cause to these issues? Like, what's like the history behind environmental r- racism and environmental justice? I think you mentioned uh, the person who came up with the term. I mean, not the term. Sorry, uh, he he didn't come up with anything, but he was a I prominent. It. Yeah, he was a prominent like figure for environmental justice. Um, but what's like the history behind that? Like, how far does this go back? Well, it goes back to the 70s and 80s. Um, before the 80s, you had a uh, environmental justice movement that was led by black and brown people. And that environmental justice movement centered the concerns of black and brown people. It was yeah. a movement that was confrontational. It was militant. It, it, it was hold, no holds barred. But it was replaced in the 80s by a, uh, a white-led environmental movement that, is, that centers experts, lawyers, uh, scientists who don't live in the communities that are 
plagued by environmental racism or environmental injustice. Yeah. Yeah. And that that reminds me a lot of like for for the longest time like when I was hearing people talk about environmental justice and stuff like that lots of like the phrases are like save the planet or like yes. the polar bears or like the yes. icebergs are like melting and that's all yes. very important but if we're going to talk about environmental justice we also have to look at what's happening right now in our own country our own cities and states you know climate change doesn't only affect like animals and plants and species but it, like it actually impacts and affects like neighborhoods and people around you because we see so many like when you think of in the environment you think of like for me at least and for i guess most people you think of going and going to like the zoo or whatever but like you have to save the people around you you know and you could be a victim of climate change and all of the issues happening like it could very well be um a black community in seattle getting affected um just like jackson mississippi so I'm I'm very glad you guys are bringing this up because many people look at um, climate change and environmental injustice as issues that affect uh, animal life, plant life, and the natural environment around us. But they never yeah. look at, at it as a, as a people issue, as something yeah. that affects people's everyday lives. So I'm glad you guys are really thinking about that and bringing it up. And Kwaku, do you like know why people... Uh... Do you have, like any insight into the, like why people think of it as more of like a natural world issue and a planet issue, I guess, in a way? And I know yeah, it's like a structured, uh, like it's structured racism as well, but is there anything else that kind of draws that forward a little bit more? Uh, yeah, I, I would attribute that to, again, racial capitalism, um, because if the issues um, of Jackson and of Texas and of uh, Cancer Alley in Louisiana, which I'll get to in a little while. If those issues were brought into the mainstream, then the government, what be it federal government or state governments, would have no choice but to address those issues. But mm -hmm. by uh, putting them on the back burner, it makes it so they don't have to address those issues because nobody's looking out for them. Right. Yeah. And that even goes back to like the media coverage, like. Mm -hmm. Like, I did not even know about what was happening in Jackson until, like, I heard about Texas and, like, something about the snowstorm, yeah. but I didn't, I didn't hear about what was happening in Jackson or many other similar cases because this has been happening for a while. Maybe not always yeah. in Jackson, maybe not always a water issue, but, like, we can go back to, like, Flint, Michigan, you know, mm -hmm. like, and it's very closely tied also with systemic racism. Like, these systems are put in place for a reason. Right. Uh, do you guys know if, like, it started early in March or earlier in Jackson, Mississippi? Um, like, yeah, it was a this March. Yeah, it was a result. It was a result of the winter storm. Oh, right. Yeah. Okay, so, yeah, we saw, like, a bunch of focus on Texas, but... I bet if I ask someone like down the street, if they've been listening to what's been happening in Jackson, Mississippi, they would have no information on like it. So, yeah, well, what Jackson what Jackson shows is uh, the fact that um, my, um, 
black, brown, and a person of color America, mm -hmm. our water infrastructure is crumbling. Yes. That's really what yeah. it goes to show. Yeah, I think there's like this huge pattern here. People see in the US, we see ourselves as this higher up country. When in truth, a lot of the different there's we have so many different holes in the country when it comes to the environment. And so we see like, oh my gosh, like this country is so poor, this this blah, blah blah is so poor, they have nothing. But we can't even take care of our own people, our own citizens here in the US. And so they're turning to other citizens who probably don't actually have that much money, like you said, mutual aid, correct? Yes. Yeah, so we're having to uh bring our own pockets out, which is totally fine. Like I would love to support people around me, but the fact that it costs, I think, like $2 billion to actually get the water back in Jackson, Mississippi, shows how much damage is already there. And so this yeah. is something we sh like people shouldn't be taking care of. It should already be taken care of by the government and the different systems in the city. And yeah, and I'm glad, you, I'm glad you brought that up because a country such as this one, uh, which preaches uh, climate justice, but practices climate injustice can never be expected to to be a world leader or the world leader against climate change. Mm -hmm. Yes, yes. Oh my <laughs> gosh. <laughs> I'm sorry. That just like, sorry. The... Oh my gosh. Sorry. <laughs> but yeah, like, this is the fact that like i and i also feel like this is i mean obviously this is like on purpose you know like mm -hmm. the people like we're comparing ourselves to other countries and see ourselves as better in some ways and in some communities that can definitely be true like in white communities primarily white communities you know mm -hmm. yeah but you have to look at the whole. And if you're not doing it for everybody, then are you really, like, doing that great? And, mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. Um, I know this is, like, kind of out of, a little bit out of, like, environmental racism, I guess. But, uh, like, do you guys think with environmental racism comes just health in general? And this could be mental and physical health. Like, for example, we're talking about this earlier, but, like, processed foods and fast food being like implemented implemented into like different neighborhoods like black neighborhoods and BIPOC neighborhoods knowing that the food isn't healthy for our bodies uh do you see a lot of that and then with that as of course uh a lot of BIPOC get health issues and they can only turn to doctors which are probably not gonna always help them because we've seen a lot of issues with that as well but is that kind of connected and intertwined oh yes uh food justice and environmental justice are directly intertwined and when you stop to consider the fact that um as you said these unhealthy food establishments are uh situated in communities of color as well mm -hmm. as uh environmental hazards situated in communities of color we really have to yeah. stop and look at why that's the case you know why are there environmental hazards as well as uh, unhealthy food options uh, yes. prevalent in our communities. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would agree. It's all very connected, like as far as um, health goes. And 
we have to remember i feel like water we're most people are very used to having access to water you know like it just comes out you know you just have it you know what i mean but it's actually um like we literally can't live without water and the fact that some communities are being put through not having it or even like their water is like their water source is very like it's like contaminated or things like that you know for sure and these all go into how our our health is like doing also and then like the certain certain stores are in certain communities you Mm -hmm. know like pcc and all that kind of stuff is definitely not in communities of color um you know like I'm, I'm not saying Safeways and stuff like that or grocery outlet. Like, that's not bad, I guess. But we mm. don't have the super Ritzy. organic, like, all this type of... Yeah, we don't have that yeah. in, like, neighborhoods of color. And the, the and prices... I would know, like, yeah, the prices are, like, driven up as well in PCC. I was driving past and I was like, they really just put a PCC in Central District. And it brings back to our other podcast, actually, when we are talking about, like, gentrification. But, like, Dana was saying veganism and like organic living is just like a a substitute for saying oh I'm gonna help the world by taking care of myself you know and so I see so many black people with diabetes and that's a result of like a lot of the environmental racism that we have been seeing like in the late 70s and 80s but it's also generational because then it's passed down to um, other BIPOC and other black people and yeah and also going back to covid like now especially we need um you know reliable water source and healthy food you know like just things you know to keep us going like because our bodies need that you know and then even when we do try to go get help you know like there's a lot of distrust Mm -hmm. in communities of color with different like medical um yeah like uh, like I don't know what the word is but like yeah with like healthcare and stuff like that and it's all for a reason it's all very connected yeah and quick you brought this up like environmental um capitalism right so Mm -hmm. if we have black black oh my god sorry guys black doctors (laughs) black doctors and um more black leaders I guess just lifted up into these different positions then we can feel more comfortable with what we can get done and but the thing is with Jackson, I bet there's so many black leaders out there trying to lead this thing when not even Mississippi is helping. But also we can't do everything, you know, so mutual aid is one thing, but it can't solve all of the issues. It feels like almost this temporary thing. and It's really sad because I've seen so much mutual aid like happening during the pandemic, especially like a lot of my stories are like, please donate to this GoFundMe and please check out this, like, donate to mutual aid. And it's, like, this beautiful thing, but don't think of it as, like, a solution, you know? Oh, definitely. Yeah, yeah mutual mutual aid concerns itself with, uh, with uh, the issues that are going on. But what we need to be concerned about as activists is the system which creates the issue. You know what I mean? Yeah, totally. Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. Yep, and uh, one thing I want to touch on that Aaron brought up was uh, uh, food options and how uh, essentially we're paying more for less. 
we're paying more money for yep. uh, poor quality food, which in yes. essence is another form of exploitation. Yeah. Um, Kwaku. Yep. Do you have like any experiences with environmental racism? And uh, you're on the East Coast, correct? Yes. Yeah. So do you think like it's more prominent in certain areas in the U.S.? Like it's more uh, potent in like the East Coast or on the yeah. West Coast? Yeah. Let me touch on the first part of your question first. So I personally uh, have not experienced environmental racism because I live in a well-to-do middle-class family. Mm -hmm. um, now, with regards to what you were saying about uh, environmental racism on the East Coast, um, the town in which I live is 97% white. I live in New oh, Fairfield. Wow. Yes, I live in New Fairfield, Connecticut. Now, in Waterbury, which is about 45 minutes away, um, there are environmental uh, race, racism concerns. Um, I, I believe that they had um, a petrochemical plant. It was or not a petrochemical plant, but oh, some right. some type of plant was built in Waterbury, and um, it was not a popular decision. It was not a decision popular amongst the people who lived there, which uh, goes to show that uh, America is not uh, as much as America talks about democracy. It doesn't. It's not a. It's not a democracy. A democracy is a society in which. Uh, the citizens mm -hmm. participate directly in the decisions, in uh, political decisions. And in Waterbury, it goes to show how, despite the fact that the ma the masses of the people were against this project being built, it was built anyway. Yeah. Also, what you brought up about like the factories. Um, so my dad's from Gary, Indiana. And so I think we're there like in 2018 no probably like 17 or 16 but um he was talking about like this factory i think it got shut down but it was next to this huge neighborhood and so gary's majority black uh bipc and so um there was a factory it looked like right in right in the middle of the neighborhood and so the debris from that factory was just put into the um the black neighborhoods and so you develop these health issues like for my grandpa he was in the uh vietnam war i think but he got cancer because of uh they dropped in this chemical that would help them see better like through uh the forest and like the different areas in vietnam but uh the chemicals are put into your body and you develop the health issues as well so when you have a factory in the middle of a black neighborhood which they're put there on purpose but they don't care about us really with environmental racism especially and it's a huge issue, and I hope people start paying more attention to it as well. Definitely. Uh, with regards to what you were saying about uh, cancer and the health risks, um, I want to point out that on March the 2nd, human rights experts for the United Nations said that environmental racism in Cancer Alley in Louisiana has to mm -hmm. end. And if you've never heard of Cancer Alley, uh, it gets its name from the fact that people who live there are 50 times as likely to develop cancer as the mm -hmm. average American because it is host to approximately 150 petrochemical plants. Wow. Yeah. 
So that's something that uh, we all have to look out for because the United Nations is saying this. And if they're saying it, um, it means that uh, the United States government has to take action. And if they don't take action, we have to um, we really have to press the issue. And also, that's why, like, I feel like talking about this is so important, because, again, like, I did not even know about that until you just said it right now, you know, and like the government is obviously not going to do it for us. That's why, like, we have to be pushing them you know which is definitely not how things should be you know and like like who was talking about earlier like we're supposed to be a democracy but really when you look at like voter suppression and all this kind of stuff like that's not how it is you know yes i think one thing i would like to point out to you guys is sources of uh, alternative media you know media that's going to tell you the truth um, so you can, uh, feel free to write these down. Um, there's democracy now, uh, black Alliance for peace, black agenda report, hood communist pro publica, the nation, mm-hmm. the guardian, the Atlantic and Jacobin magazine among others. Some are not perfect. They, they have their assets as well as their liabilities, but they will provide you with a more objective analysis of current events, not only in America, but throughout the world. And with like education, because you're uh, listing these new sites, do you think the curriculum in schools are missing something when it comes to environmental justice and racism? Uh, do you think that should be discussed more in schools and what, like, how would you want it to be discussed? Uh, well, first of all, it definitely needs to be discussed in schools, which is uh, part of uh, Start Empowerment's mission. As I pointed out at the beginning, uh, Start Empowerment is working with New York City schools to implement uh, justice-focused oh, curriculum. Now, is there something that the audience, like the people listening, can do to kind of support that? If students uh, want to see uh, environmental justice uh, curriculum, uh, implemented into their schools, it's something they're going they're going to have to fight for. And yeah. as we've seen uh, throughout history, many uh, social movements, uh, not only in this country but around the world, they were led by students. So it's on the it's on the students to uh, get to uh, fight for the for the type of things that they want uh, to see mm-hmm. uh, their schools teach them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I definitely. This is a, this is something new, pretty new. Like when I moved out here, I've been learning a lot more about it. And like I've had a kind of ex- some experiences with like the environment and like being in a place where it's polluted because I was in Shanghai and it's very polluted. There was one time where we couldn't even go outside because the pollution was just steaming all over the neighborhood basically. But yeah, I think it's mostly just experiences that are teaching us which should not be the way, like D- Dinar was saying, uh, and yeah. Dinar, do you, like, learn a lot about uh, environmental justice or no? Like, in school? Actually, actually, no, I don't. And that's kind of why I like that you brought up that point in that question of, you know, this needs needing to be talked about more in schools. And this is also because I go to a private school. Yeah. So you would think out of everything, <laughs> they would talk about it most. Mm-hmm. And like I said, when when we do talk about climate, it's not 
how it relates to us in our own country, how it relates yeah. to communities of color you know it's like oh what can we do to save antarctica i know <laughs> no the <focus laughs> like not is trying to even make a joke but like <laughs> that's actually what we're Same. talking about like we could have been we could have been having these discussions in my science classes yes in my in my even in my humanities class right now we're this year was a lot about slavery and you know the civil rights movement we'll get into that soon and these are the parts that we don't get told about and yeah so I actually haven't learned much about it this is I've probably learned more here talking with you guys right now than I don't even know ever yeah (laughs) I was talking to a couple people in my class yesterday and someone mentioned that it's sad that we're learning on YouTube but I feel like you don't have to learn on YouTube and you can do what we're doing here like you don't have to record it like we are but we're using this as like an informational source and like an educational area to for others to learn. But people need to be going out and talking. Like you can go and talk to someone and who knows, they're probably an expert like Quaku is on environmental justice and they probably <laughs> are working to put these courses into the schools and you don't even know that. So have like conversations and bring up those topics because I promise you, like it's sad, but your school is not going to teach you as much as others will and it's because people were in this huge connected like uh web like in the world so one person heard from another person and they heard from another person they had an experience then they told another person that person connected that you know it's like really connected so you need to expand like the amount of um connection you're getting with others because you will learn so much by going out, by going to, uh, like, even Jackson, Mississippi, you know? Yeah. Well, I I, th- I think it's nice that uh, you would call me an expert, but I wouldn't... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't, I wouldn't uh, consider myself an expert. I would just uh, consider myself somebody who uh, accrues as much uh, information as possible mm-hmm. and tries to, you know, you know yeah. do something with it. Because a lot of people, uh, you can have all the information in the world, but if you don't apply it, then you're just, you know, you're, no, you're nowhere. Um, yeah. I'm actually taking yeah. a climate course myself at UConn uh, this semester. Uh, mm-hmm. it's an, they just introduced it uh, as part of their uh, environmental curriculum. But um, I, think, I think it falls short. It's not, it's not oh. something that's, it's not something that's uh, justice focused. It's more scientific you know what I mean? Like it, um, yeah. It, yeah. So it, more of like the science behind the environment, yeah. almost what you're saying. Yeah. Like it, it touches on, um, justice issues here and there, but it doesn't, uh, go no anywhere near as far as it should. Um, so I think mm-hmm. environmental justice is something that, uh, we need to pursue not only in uh, grade school, but, uh, in universities as well, because, you know, universities are considered, uh, higher education. And can you kind of tell us like about the courses and like the education that you guys are going to put into these New York schools and institutions? Uh, yeah, well, um, I'm not the uh, person who's, uh, I'm not on the um, team that designs the, the uh, curriculum. What we've done is we've designed two things, an environmental curriculum as well as a um, police surveillance uh, curriculum. 
and I believe that these have been implemented in, I want to say, at least five schools. It could be more by now, but I want to say at least five schools. Oh, that's great, though. That's really good. The, like, these are the kind of actions that we're supposed to be taking. And also, I like that you pointed out earlier about um, the course you were um, looking into at your school. Um, about, like, and you said something about this earlier also, like, like the, the movement that kind of got replaced was mainly, like, white experts who weren't even living. Yes in the impacted communities mm. and when we learn about this i think it's definitely important to learn about the science behind it because you know in some ways it'll help us solve the issue but we also need to know like how is this really impacting people you know we need to think about the people yes. part of it i don't know if that's really the right way of saying it i don't really know if yeah. there's a term for that but like the ex the actual experiences that this is putting people through, you know? Mm -hmm. Yep, I definitely agree. And there's a quote that I really like from uh, Malcolm X, which I think really uh, hammers that point home. Uh, he says, and I quote, of all our studies, history is best qualified to reward our research. If mm -hmm. uh, you look anywhere around the world with, pro with people who are suffering similar problems to yours and they figure it out, you can then use what they did to solve your own problems. Uh, that's the end of the quote. So uh, if you look around the world currently, uh, Cuba is the most uh, environmentally sustainable country on earth. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's really cool. Yep. That's great. And you don't hear that, you know, like you, yeah. you know, people want to talk about all the people around them. Like, Oh my God, they're so liberal. Like, look at them. They are vegan and they eat plants for dinner. Like, I don't know. It sounds, that's <laughs> but like we need to pay attention to what we can be and look at our future and what we can create instead of dwelling on people who do these minimal things that aren't even making an impact like it's just for that group of people that can afford it or that can reach whatever they're getting you know yep definitely yeah and i i also feel like kind of relating back to that quote and also about something we touched upon yeah. earlier how Kind of in the U.S., we kind of think we're above a lot of other countries. Yeah. And I feel like we don't talk about Cuba in that way, what Kweku was talking about. And we don't, um, we don't even want to look at other countries and how they're handling issues because mm -hmm. we think we're the best at everything. We're the <laughs> but, only like, country in the world. Yeah, but really, and I mean, all countries have their flaws, all governments have their flaws, nothing is perfect, but we really are a very flawed country, and it's mm -hmm. on purpose, you know, that's the system, that's how it works, but yeah, I feel like it's important to look around and kind of get over, like, your ego, or I don't even know what it really is, but like, yeah. For sure, like, the ego part, I think the standards here people think they're at the standard of what can um like the world standard of helping but they aren't they're like nothing close and so continue to like learn and stuff you know yeah. um Kwaku, yep what other like is there anything else we should know about like jackson mississippi and kind of can you like talk about like ways we can help as well 
Yeah. What are actions that people can be taking? Yeah. And do you think like, I know that spreading the word is a big part, but I know that social media doesn't always help. And so it's just this thing to kind of check off your box. But is there anything physical that we can do? Like even traveling to Jackson or signing uh, mutual aid uh, donations? Yeah, well, let me address your uh, social media point first. So I think social media has its uses because I mm-hmm. most of the, most of the news that I get, I actually get from Twitter. Yeah. And I'm I I will confess I I learned more on Twitter in in a year than yeah. I did in, than I did in my four years at high school. I'll mm-hmm. be completely honest. And uh, as far as uh, Jackson is concerned. Uh, I'm personally of the mindset that black people needs sovereignty, which means the power to determine the destiny of our own communities without outside intervention or interference. Um, oh, there's yeah. a movement. Yeah, there's a movement gaining traction in Austin, Texas, called 401. You guys should look into it because they're on Instagram. Um, it's led by black lesbian and queer women and it is currently building a black autonomous zone in austin called orisha zone and for those who don't know what an autonomous zone is it is a community that is completely independent from the city or state in which it is built and the goal of 401 is to build a community that is based on pan-african and socialist principles and a community without cops and in this respect they are building real black political power. And that's the only, that's really the only solution to our, to our problems is building black how, political power. How do these autonomous zones kind of get that independence uh, without interference? Because I feel like for us, like in Seattle, we had ours, but it got shut down. So how are they yeah. going to bear that um, power? Well, definitely. Uh, definitely. Um, 401 uh, is going to face the, uh, the same uh, opposition or resistance uh, from the state as the uh, Seattle Autonomous Zone did. But I think the difference uh, in with 401 is that they have the uh, popular support of the people. Um, during uh, Winter Storm Yuri, they were doing more to help the people in Austin who had no power and who had no uh, food than, uh, than the Austin government or the Texas state government did. So in that respect, they were uh, doing mutual aid. And so last thing, because I think we're kind of coming at time, but Kwaku, can you kind of talk about just the individual pieces to helping out in your your own neighborhoods? Because we discussed how it's like environmental racism is everywhere. So. Yeah, I think that um, anyone who is uh, confronted with these issues should uh, organize uh, with the people in their community uh, in mutual aid efforts to, uh, you know, ass- to uh, assuage the concerns of the people yeah. in the community. And if there is no uh, mutual aid effort in your community that exists, uh, you have the responsibility yourself to create. And how do we kind of, because I know that there's a lot of white voices when it comes to environmental justice, and they're often... Uh, carried mm-hmm. on through um they're like echoed throughout different people but how are we gonna kind of use our power i mean we're both we're all black so how are we gonna kind of push those boundaries while um 
getting this resist this resistment of sorry um while getting pushed back by the government yeah that's a good question so i think that um power is something that comes from uh the organized masses uh, in other words uh, when you're faced with a situation or faced with a problem uh, you can uh, create a protest or mobilize uh, towards that problem but your protest is something that's temporary you know what i mean mm -hmm. whereas uh, organization is something that is permanent yeah and everlasting so you need to it it really has to be um you have to organize the masses of your people towards uh, a, a ruthless, uncompromising, lasting struggle against whatever it is they're faced with. And when you do that, uh, you fight and fight and fight until you break down whatever barriers or solve whatever problems you're confronted with. Yeah. Thank you so much, Kwaku, for coming on to our podcast and talking about this with us. Mm -hmm. We left you all with some pretty good points. So I hope you guys have learned something new. Um, make sure to check out Start Empowerment. Um, yeah. The And like Quakey said, he's here on behalf of Start Empowerment. So make sure to go check them out. And they're mm -hmm. doing work related to what we've been talking about. Make sure to listen to kind of like the points that we were talking about. What can we really do that's actually making an impact moving forward? Um, Quakey, do you want to say anything before we close out? yeah so this was uh, this was Thank very you. fun you guys and um yep and um if, if you guys want to have me back <laughs> on i'll gladly do it and anything that i can ever do at any time uh that is uh sincerely uh designed to uh educate people or to bring about a change uh so long as it's within my power you guys only need to give me uh, an email or a dm yeah, guys, and i'll be sure right check there him out. he definitely knows what he's talking about he i'm i'm bet you're open to having a good conversation with someone and thank you so much for coming on this podcast this um topic was something that we definitely need to discuss and we hope it finds everyone well and yeah thanks so much bye Make sure to go check out our instagram for more information and listen to our other podcast if you haven't yet yes thank his you. bio's on our instagram bye guys